Welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Michelle Janikian. She is a psychedelic journalist. Together, we have an amazing conversation. And truly, I think this podcast would be great for anyone who is either a never done psychedelics before and wants to learn about them and get a real learning moment about them not just your friends saying go do these drugs or b you love psychedelics and you're sick of having to explain how powerful and amazing they can be to other people and you wanted it compact in one episode it's right here Or if, see, you have had any mental struggle in your life with learning to love yourself, then I think this conversation is for you. So I think pretty much covers everybody in the entire world. So send it to a friend, you know? So if you're any of those, then you should tune in. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Okay, so for the listener who doesn't know who you are, how would you describe yourself? Mm. <laughs> well, I'm Michelle Janikian. I am a psychedelic journalist, I guess, is maybe the easiest way to describe who I am. I wrote a book called Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion, which is a guide on basically everything you know a newcomer needs to know about using magic mushrooms in a safe way. Mm-hmm. I'm also the um, my new role is the editor of the Psychedelics Today blog, and I'm also an occasional co-host of their podcast. So nice. It's like a fun new role for me. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty deep in like the psychedelic media and education world is, is my whole game. <laughs> yeah, and your book, it is like, I feel like the go-to book for anyone who doesn't know a lot about psychedelics. Cool, thank you. Yeah, it's pretty new still. It's only been out about a year and a half. So that's still like kind of weird for me because <laughs> I just deal with all these like, you know, really old school psychedelic researchers all the time and I feel like such a newbie, but I mm. do... Um, I'm glad that I can provide that resource for people. Thank you. Right. And it's completely (laughs) different than The Psychedelic Experience by Timothy Leary. I I don't know if you had tried to read that, but it is a lot of uh, just all over the place ideas that were not as, you know, helpful, digestible information that you provide. Funny. You know, that's a funny way to put it. But that (laughs) is was a big like motivator for my book because, you know, like the information that I put together for that book, it it wasn't new. I didn't invent it. It exists out there. And people like Timothy Leary really like set the foundation for Mm -hmm. what I was able to do. But I also felt like all the psychedelic 
you know, guides and information out there was really heavily like just through a particular lens that is hard for newcomers to identify with, whether yes. it be really spiritual or really just weird, which I love, like just but a bit woo-woo. And yes. the average, like I was thinking like, what would my mom relate to, <laughs> you know, when I was writing this? And just coming from a background, so I started actually, you know, in journalism writing about cannabis and a mm. lot of like educational stuff. So I kind of had like a feel for how – this works and how people are relating to this for the first time mm -hmm. and educating themselves and wanting to put it in language that, yeah, like wasn't off-putting for newcomers that like they could relate to. And then we can get to the woo-woo, you know, once exactly. they've had a few deep yes. experiences, then we can introduce them to all the other weirder stuff. Basically. That's a great way to talk about it. Then they can read <laughs> Timothy Leary's book and be like, yes, I understand this now because otherwise it is a very woo-woo headspace. So I feel like, yeah, your book is the great place to start if you don't know a lot about psychedelics and to learn more about, you know, the actual research behind it, the basics of how much to even take, how to do a set and setting and all of that stuff. Yeah, I really, you know, the intention was to really just keep people safe. Like a lot of other people in the psychedelic community, the intention is more like healing or spirituality and mm -hmm. that stuff's really important. But I didn't want to assume anything, right? I just knew that folks are going to be like trying mushrooms for either like the first time since college or the first time ever, uh, just like new rates that we haven't seen probably since like the 70s or something. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted... To just, you know, I had my own kind of like sketchy psychedelic experiences Ooh. as a teenager, right? And just wanted yes. to like <laughs> help people avoid that kind of weirdness so then they won't be turned off by a psychedelic experience using it in front of like weird people that they don't really know. Like yeah. it is actually a very vulnerable and deep experience. You should prepare. It's not something to take lightly. And But if you do that, do, you know, take psychedelics like mushrooms in a – really safe environment with someone you love that you right. trust it can right. just be such a powerful experience so to just like teach people people don't realize that they're like oh i take mushrooms at a party it's fine i'm like right. now i would never do that like after what i've learned definitely just, you know i don't know <laughs> yeah no it's a perspective on you know it's our culture's connection to the drug itself and sometimes there is this like oh it's a party drug it's sort of that but especially when you get outside of the western context of this drug, really, it can be such a spiritual thing. And so many other, you know, spiritual groups and cultural practices really incorporate this in a fundamentally different way than we do as Westerners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I have a chapter in there exploring just like a scratching the surface, to yeah. be honest, of indigenous ceremonial mushrooms in Mexico, which still exist. It's mm -hmm. more talking about yeah, the mushroom ceremonies that are still happening in the Mazatec community in Oaxaca, um, rather than exploring like some older anthropological literature or stuff, you know, because mm. that's um, often like the angle that's taken. And I was like, well, why talk about that when we can talk about what's still happening like yeah. in the mountains of Mexico? Just to give people framework. I also, you know, there's this kind of thing happening and always has been happening in the psychedelic community where we, I don't know, we, we think about, we, we learn about indigenous ceremony and then we think like that's 
what we should do in the only way. And that's not exactly true. I think we can mm. learn a lot from indigenous cultures and how they've hold, like held this knowledge. But to just like straight appropriate it yes. doesn't actually make any sense. It's not like right, especially if you're not giving back to that culture. Right. But also it might not make sense for your Western worldview in life. But they do really honor this medicine and hold it in such high regard. And so I tried to really focus on the points of their tradition that we can really like learn from just mm -hmm. as Western, American, Canadians, like whatever. And yeah, it's tricky. It is really important also to learn about and to uh, educate yourself and to learn, yeah, different contexts of these really powerful medicines, essentially. Right, exactly. And for you to know, I was raised very conservative, so I was definitely, you know, taught that all drugs are bad, not something mm. that you should ever do. But I think I did learn a lot by acknowledging the different cultural contexts, you yeah. know, being taught from just this one framework that all drugs are bad, they're going to make you lose your mind, whatever, you know, society tries to tell you through D.A.R.E. and other programs I remember. from the Reagan era, and then just kind of realizing that, wow, other people have spiritual relationships to these things, they see them as healing things. Wow, I mean, that is just complete opposite to what we're told. It's true. And yeah, trying to, so that's a big part of why I do what I do is to try to like yeah. destigmatize drug use in general. I mean, psychedelics are a big part of that and a big part of like where the mainstream is kind of ready to destigmatize and to accept and to be like, oh, you know, now that there's clinical trials proving that the mushroom right. compound psilocybin and the ecstasy compound MDMA, they're helping people through really like tough uh, emotional conditions, you know, mm -hmm. and that's starting to open the mainstream up a lot but I think and like I think cannabis really opened the door for that process I think psychedelics are opening the door to really um you know ending the drug war and to start decriminalizing yes. destigmatizing all substance use to understand that it's not all bad period like dare right. told us that there are you know people who use really you know what we think of as really like hard drugs you know, not right. as like a desperate addict fashion that we're told in the movies and stuff. And but to keep that stigma going when people do need help, they can't mm. ask for it because they feel like they're doing something bad and they end up getting in dangerous situations or they end up getting arrested or, you know, these other types of things. And the culture is changing. It feels like really right. fast. It might be in my little drug world bubble, but you know, with things like Measure 109 and 110 in Oregon, which just passed, right? which just yeah. 110 is the measure that decriminalized small possession, small amounts of all drugs like heroin, meth included. And Measure 109 legalized psilocybin-assisted therapy in Oregon. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's starting in a really progressive state, but I do think that it's like a first step in maybe countrywide uh, sure. you know, a process of, of, of really reconsidering the drug war and, and how, like what role drugs have in our culture. Right. Yeah. Cause, uh, psilocybin is scheduled as a schedule one drug. Yeah. Yeah. With no medical value. Right. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. As a matter <laughs> of fact, I might, I mean, 
It's, you know, so is cannabis, though, right? And that's so ridiculous because now more than, like, half of the states have legalized cannabis in some form, Mm -hmm. medical or adult use. Psilocybin's up there as Schedule 1, MDMA, you know, a lot of substances that have decades of medical research behind them. So these it's clearly that these scheduling these laws are not based on science, which I think is like one thing that, yeah, we have to really recognize as a culture. It's hard because you think the laws are in place to keep us safe and comfortable, Mm -hmm. but not always. Sometimes they're in place to keep people of color in jail or to keep our systems of white supremacy, like, you know, continuing. And so... Um, you know, not just that they have medical value, like there's, they have a lot of value and putting them in schedule one just causes a lot of problems. And I really, but yeah, I mean, I, I do believe psilocybin has medical value. It's been proven lately in like Johns Hopkins University, uh, UCLA, NYU, they're all putting out a lot of really interesting studies on psilocybin for things like depression, end-of-life anxiety. There's a whole bunch of new ones in the works, like OCD, eating disorders, mm, Alzheimer's. So like, exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting stuff. So I do hope that, you know, it could change. I don't know, though. I don't have a lot of hope that it'll happen super soon. Like... But I think eventually, I think we're in a, it's like a process. Cannabis took like 20 years to get where we're at, about 25 years. So, you know, to think that it'll happen just in the Biden administration, I think is kind of wishful thinking. But I think that it it could happen in like half the time cannabis did. And like 10 years from now, we might have like a lot of different options when it comes to mental health. There could be clinics where you could go get psychedelic therapy. I just hope that. At the same time, psychedelics are also decriminalized, possibly even legalized and regulated. Mm -hmm. So people have options on how they want to use this. You know, maybe they do want to use it with a doctor for a condition, but there's other uses. There's spiritual use. There's personal growth use. And when we fit it into like a tight little box of like the clinical, this is only okay if you do it for $10,000 with a doctor and all, it's going to be really expensive. Yeah. Yeah, right. So that's already like not accessible to most So that's kind of where the fight has gone. It's gone from like, okay, clearly we're going to move forward somehow, but like, how is it and how will it be fair and accessible Mm -hmm. to everyone? And um, that's kind of where my brings us to the current day of like what I do every day in my job is trying to, you know, open people's minds up to to more options than just what the mainstream narrative is saying, what's okay now. It's like, You know, and which is, you know, this like, oh, well, it's safe in the clinical way. Mm -hmm. But I really do believe that if we educate folks on how to do this safely, that we should open it up to, you know, adults, you know, maybe 21 and older, um, be able to purchase psychedelics, maybe at like a special kind of dispensary like we have for cannabis Mm-hmm. with education involved and you know so everything's tested it's medical grade right. there's no chance you're getting some other weird novel compound instead of LSD or something like this mm-hmm. yeah i could just go on for ages go on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> no i love it i mean you should and you should you are the specialist on all of this 
But yeah, it just breaks my heart that there's been so many years of research that we could have been doing as a country on psychedelics and the potential medicinal values that it could have for our society instead of just putting it in this black box that we can't even tap into. But unfortunately, because it's in that Schedule 1, a lot of people look at psilocybin and other psychedelics the same way they look at other drugs and really like put them all in one box and say they're all this, they're all super addictive, they're all these things. And now there's just such a stigma that I feel like we're trying to pull away one research study at a time. Just like, (laughs) this is not what's happening, you know? Yeah, that is a lot of work. It's true. It is kind of sad, especially when you see like how effective like MDMA is for PTSD, for instance, Mm -hmm. like, wow, we could have been helping people with PTSD this whole time. But instead, we just decided that, you know, because it alters your consciousness in this way that makes politicians uncomfortable, we've Mm -hmm. had it illegal and totally inaccessible for so long. I know. Um, And I think that there's so much to it, like, especially how we're seeing like mushrooms and ayahuasca help folks mm. out of like really like years of depression and like it's it's really starting to make people question like what is depression like why do i feel this way like you know is it this kind of like brain chemical imbalance like we were taught mm. in Prozac commercials like in the 90s or is it more my life choices and the the way I talk to myself and is this changeable like without a daily medication is it more something that I can work on and and it's turning out to be a little bit of both right it depends on the person mm-hmm. and and their specific you know neurochemistry and everything but I think it's really helping people like reanalyze how we think about mental health how we treat it how we yes treat ourselves it's teaching me so much like not only just like reporting on this world but you know doing my own work with psychedelics opening Mm -hmm. my mind up so much and um I'm really grateful I get to do it on like a personal and professional level so it's a lot of pressure too sometimes but um yeah it's fascinating and it's beautiful and it's scary but um it's really inspiring like every day it's so exciting (laughs) you're an explorer which is really exciting yeah it's scary (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you too what was your first time with psychedelics if you have a story or what messages you heard yeah I do I do I um so my first time with psychedelics was mushrooms I was young I was 17 And now I'm 32, so like a lot of time has passed in between then and Mm. doing a lot of processing of that first trip. Right. I had – so basically I write a little bit in the intro to my book, but I had no idea like what mushrooms were like. I had Mm. no context for like any of this work. I liked cannabis. I thought, oh, this is like the next step or something. I don't know. That's what they warn against. (laughs) Right? Literally, sorry. No. Not a gateway drug, more of a mind opener. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I had this, um, you know, I had no idea what I was in for. And I ended up basically by myself because I didn't know how long it would take to kick in. And I basically had to like go home by midnight to meet my curfew. Oh, no. And that's really when it started really kicking in. And I spent most of the night in my childhood bedroom looking in the mirror and that sounds like kind of terrible but actually it was beautiful like it was the most powerful 
thing that had ever happened to me, you know, as a teenager in New Jersey, like I had just no idea how narrow my way of viewing the world was, like Mm -hmm. how stuck in like very pretty rigid like thought patterns I was every day. Mm -hmm. I was pretty depressed already just as a 17-year-old. I was already, you know, on and off like antidepressant and anxiety medications Mm -hmm. and none of them were really working. I was struggling with an eating disorder um, as a lot of girls in like the mid-2000s were Right. still are, honestly, right? But mm-hmm. it just was such a cultural thing then. And looking in the mirror that night, I just, for the first time in my life, really just loved myself, like, wow. unconditionally. It was so beautiful. And I just saw, like, what a special and beautiful and worthy person mm-hmm. I am and everyone is, though. Like, not just me. Like, and that I was really just holding myself back by you know, really controlling my eating and every, like I was in this really mm. rigid place and, and really just like hating myself and, and being stuck in these thought patterns where I never thought I was worthy or good enough or, mm. you know, skinny enough or like right. whatever. And, and, you know, and it was really powerful and it really opened me up and I got really into psychedelics. But funnily, like, because I had no context for psychedelics for mental health, like, It's not that all those things changed overnight, even though I, for the first time, experienced kind of freedom from them and it was really Mm -hmm. powerful. It wasn't until like almost 10 years later when I started getting into this like science and mental health aspect of it that I realized like the power of intentions and Mm -hmm. expectation and integration in this process. And so that when I did have these really powerful self-affirming um, self-love experiences that I struggle to access in my everyday life that I could use those afterwards mm-hmm. to, to, to be confident, to remember that I'm a worthy person, to remember that, you know, when I am really down and low, when I, cause I still do, you know, get kind of like waves of depression and mm-hmm. dread and anxiety, but now I have like this inner strength to remember that, there's more to me in my life than mm. that. That's not it. And and it helps me get out of it a lot faster and it helps me so much. But yeah, back then I didn't really know all that and I just right. kind of like brushed over that part and then just like took acid next weekend again for fun. <laughs> and, and then I had to stop eventually. I was going a little too hard. I couldn't keep up with college and stuff. Mm. And, you know, I put my psychedelic, my psychonaut exploration on hold for a few years until – um, until about like five years ago and I started getting back into this mm-hmm. um, on more of like with a mental health expectation and yeah. intention. And, and that really does go a long way. It's so weird, actually. It's, <laughs> it's learning so much about yes. the power of your own mind. Yeah, like definitely. When you go into these experiences. So I talk a little bit about in the book if people want to learn more, but Basically, you can like set an intention before mm-hmm. you take a mushroom or any kind of psychedelic journey. And and I try to actually keep mine pretty simple and open-ended, um, but people do all sorts of different like intentional work. And it really does guide your trip. It's there in the – like it's, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine like beforehand how it will affect things because mm-hmm. it can go in a lot of different ways, but – it it really does help you, yeah, do this in a more like medicine work way where yeah. you more self-exploration, personal growth way where you can 
really learn things about yourself and learn mostly, mostly learn things for me anyway that I want to change. Yeah. Or that's how it was in the beginning a lot. It was like, well, oh, you shouldn't be so demanding with the people you love or mm-hmm. like, oh, you shouldn't react like this maybe, you know, things right. like that. And now my work's getting deeper and which gets harder actually. But yeah, I mean, I encourage folks if they want to try this for, you know, personal spiritual growth to think about what their intentions are. Maybe mm-hmm. journal about it, write it down, maybe write yourself a little note yeah. kind of thing. And that can really help. You have a a trip that or, you know, a journey that teaches you something that helps Certainly. you maybe be a better person if that's what you're looking for. Right. <laughs> I feel like it gives this objective sense to your subjective experience. You're able to Ooh. kind of see your thoughts, look at them from almost an outsider perspective. I wouldn't say it feels out of body, but just more this bigger perspective that, you know, my subjective experience really isn't the only thing that exists in the world, which is so powerful. It's so hard to remember when we're just in day-to-day reality and we're like, oh, I got to get everything done, da, 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 right. everything's stressful. And, or like, you know, you get so stuck in your own emotional response to things mm-hmm. like, God, why is she so horrible to me? Da, 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 da. But then like, yeah, I mean, and then you step out of that a little on the psychedelic experience. And then coming back, you kind of get a, lo- a wider worldview yes. sometimes if you're, you know, thinking about it, continuing to engage it. Like, oh, maybe she isn't so horrible to me. Maybe I'm projecting my own jealousy onto her. Like her experience is just as valid and real as mine. Oh my God, it's such a mind fuck every time. (laughs) It makes sense too, given the neuroplasticity and the connections that our brain is making. I mean, yeah, you're going to be thinking in completely different ways. And we have science that proves that. Yeah, it's really cool. So, I mean, it's pretty new science. It's in one of the early chapters of my book explains like how psilocybin works. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, like your brain makes all these new connections that it doesn't normally do. Mm -hmm. Normally in everyday life, our brain actually works in kind of rigid patterns. It's like, oh, we think about this. It's like, oh, walk the dog, do the laundry, get to work. And then when we let all of that go, um, like, you know, it's usually moderate to higher doses, honestly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you still are in that space on lower and micro doses, but you can kind of start to to let that go and to see things in a new way. And that's when, yeah, sometimes you get all these insights. We call them downloads sometimes mm, in the psychedelic community. That. I know we do. On like, you just get a wider worldview and it's yes. so powerful. And that's kind of why I not encourage anyone to do anything, but I wanted to write the book and make people more comfortable in this space because it is so valuable and so powerful. And even if you're not looking for like spiritual growth or mental health healing, like just that perspective shift can just really help um, on whatever you're dealing with as a human. Right. Which is, and I resonate with that so much. And that's ultimately one of the main points of the podcast, right? Is like, let's get a bunch of different perspectives on all these different things that we think about and just see how different people interact with them, how different people incorporate them into their life. And I think that's so important to not get so stuck with these like horse blinders on of our world. I love that. No, it's so true. It's a great – I love it. It's a great podcast. It's a great reason to – 
Yeah, be having these conversations, right? Just open people up just a wee bit. Yes. You don't have to go too far. Exactly. Like <laughs> I think it's interesting, though, because when you were talking about the mirror for your first experience, if you had all these perspectives of really not liking your body, not liking yourself, it's interesting how you could look into the mirror and feel that joy. I would imagine some people might have a lot of anxiety looking into a mirror. How do you think you were able to connect that into such a good place on your first time too? I have no idea. Okay, because I'm like, wow. (laughs) Mirror work. So this is like a whole thing that I didn't know about, but apparently like – Mirror work is a whole psychedelic like thing and it's like not recommended for beginners. It's a little more intense. A lot of people don't like looking in the mirror on psychedelics. But I um I love to be like, well, why? Like, Mm. you know, I think like I get it. Like, you know, you see the ugliest parts of yourself maybe, or your face starts to change and it's really scary. And that can you can kind of start like, you know, when the visuals are really taking hold, sometimes your mind or maybe it's your spirit guide, I'm, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. definitive, um, but can change the way things look and, and it can be scary. People can turn into like really scary things, right? Yeah. And, you know, and so I do understand. I don't recommend it maybe for everyone, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't all easy. I think there was like a lot of crying involved. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was like I immediately looked in the mirror and loved myself. It was like I literally had nothing else to do. I had music on and a big yeah. like mirror in my bedroom And I just started to explore. And I guess that's how I went inward. Now we tell people, oh, if you want to go inward, maybe try an eye mask and headphones and like see (laughs) what happens. But like I just stared at my own face. Wow. (laughs) And I went really deep. And yeah, I know that's a little – maybe a little weird, but it's just what ended up happening and – and it was really – it was really challenging. But then it ended up kind of like when I just – you know, like accepted it or something. And then I got to this other side of it where it was like, oh my God, why do I do this to myself? Yeah. It's all like, you know, like all my negative self-talk and all of my depression and anxiety was really originated in me and, mm. and in how I treated myself. And then I have, it was more in later trips that I really realized that I have the choice to participate in that or not. And it's hard. It's hard to integrate. It's hard not to beat myself up. But Mm -hmm. remembering that I have that choice has really, really just made a lot of space in my everyday life to to stop those thoughts in their tracks, you know, and and that's and to start to change the way my brain is working, you know, and to not to not like not only not engage, but not indulge all mm-hmm. of the negative self-talk. It still exists. And then it's kind of like I'm also learning exactly. how to meditate at the same time, right? And so like in meditation, I'm learning like, you know, my thoughts are still there and you don't have to like try to cancel them or turn yes. them off. You just kind of like accept that they're there, but don't engage them and kind of try to let them go. And mm-hmm. and it's they're very related processes. Um, and so – Yeah, I mean, if you do want to go deep on this work, having other skills like that or having other practices, they really can go hand in hand. For me, it's been learning how to meditate, but for a lot of people, like, you know, maybe their yoga practice, getting in touch Mm -hmm. with their body, or there's lots of other practices um, that are really great complements to this work. 
that I just encourage folks to explore. It it doesn't mean you have to meditate or you're doing psychedelics wrong, right? But like whatever speaks to you. um, Yeah, if you want to take your work deeper, like these other practices can really help. Definitely. Yeah, I'm glad because I feel like that situation for you is either going to be a 50-50 chance of you really loving yourself or really hating yourself. And I'm glad it came out on the positive side. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. No, it's interesting. I know it's such a weird story like or like experience to – and everyone always asks me about my first trip and I'm like – I didn't know, like, yeah, because it was – it was, but I was lucky or or maybe I had it – in me yeah Yeah, I guess right maybe luck has nothing to do with it but yeah let's call it strength (laughs) yeah it's you know and it's not an easy fix like I kind of I don't want to use the word resent but I've you know being in the psychedelic space and you hear a lot of stories of people being like oh I was completely healed I no longer was a terrible person Mm. and like it wasn't so cut and dry it isn't so cut and dry for me it's a lot of work it's a lot of work every day But it's so worth it, like, Mm -hmm. to have this new type of life where I am self-reflective and and I – I don't know. I'm just trying to – I'm just trying to do my best um, without – I don't know, getting so bogged down in what other people think or what the expectations that I thought society had for me that were actually just like kind of delusional and all in my head um, to let them go and to just be the best person that I can be. It's it's hard every day, but it's really rewarding work Mm. where when I was on, you know, mood stabilizing medication for like a decade, it wasn't like that at all. It was just like, power through, be stable, get your work Mm. done and don't get too sad and don't crawl up in a ball for three days and Mm. because that doesn't – that. and then I just felt bad about myself that that was my reaction to things and it was just this negative thought process and, you know, I'm not a therapist, right? I I don't know how to – I don't administer this medicine to other people. I don't know how to guide them through Mm. their trips to help them because I found all this stuff through my own work and I do believe that most people can as well if they're really open and willing to it. You'll find out on deeper trips if you're not, if you actually are resisting yes, um, and you don't want to change. And I think that comes up for a lot of people. And you can still work through that, right? Or you can, you know, people figure that out. I've definitely come up to that resistance Mm -hmm. myself and been like, well, why is this here? Like what? And it's mostly fear. I think Mm -hmm. I'm afraid. But it's worth worth facing that fear. Yeah. what do you feel like you're afraid of? Oh, gosh. I I had this really deep trip only a few months ago that I'm still processing mm. where I realize I'm like a f- – well, I've, I deal with a lot of anxiety. I'm a mm-hmm. shy person, but mm. then like it does border into like kind of, you know, not healthy behaviors. I'm like avoiding stuff and things, right? And so that's when it turns into anxiety. And, I'm, and I was – I've been trying to get over it. I just want to like mm. let it go and just be a confident person. And yeah. And what I, I saw on a pretty deep trip a few months ago was that I'm, like, afraid of being a woman in public. 
like I don't know it's fucking terrifying yes can I just say yes to that I've been reflecting on that too like I'm just always paranoid but I would love to hear what it is for you yes I mean just being in a woman's body I think that I'm always on guard like that someone's gonna just like invade my space and do something weird and follow me home or like whatever and it's not that I'm even like that traumatized like I don't have a sexual abuse history Mm. but I've just you know I was a young woman in New York City and it's scary it's just scary like to I don't know I just feel threatened and I still do I feel threatened all the time and I'm always I hold myself so tightly because I just don't want anything bad to happen because I guess we're raised that like, oh, mm-hmm. show too much leg or tit or whatever, bad shit's going to happen to you and you deserve it or something. Like, And it's this culture that we raise our young women in that's so yeah. unhealthy and that I've internalized so deeply and that I'm t- trying to unlearn. I've just only seen that it exists. So yeah. unlearning is like the next step. But um, Right. <laughs> well, it's so tricky because, I mean, there's a reality that women, you know, have violence enacted upon them and so you need to be prepared but equally then it does create this different headspace of just existing in the world with this baseline level of fear but it's interesting though because in your book you talk a lot and I and I love this a lot before I even read your book for this podcast I really connected to this word surrender and I really love that and then you talk a lot about in the book the process of surrendering and I personally have taken that actually to this fear just in my own journey of just like wow there is this level of danger that is present but at the same time I'm gonna do my best but I cannot stop that danger from just existing I'm gonna surrender to it and let go as scary as that feels and trust that most of humanity is good and that if I do get that rare occurrence that I will confront it when it's there and I can't prevent it by stressing and I've been trying. Yeah. I mean, that's that's me and my own internal yeah. work. But like, oh, like, yeah, I mean, in, I feel like psychedelics and that process of surrendering to our control and all of our headspace might be very connected to how you could move through something like this. It definitely is. I'm still trying to figure yeah, no, it I'm out, right? Too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love that. That's beautiful. That's really insightful. And it's true. Like, you know, we and, and surrendering on the medicine is, is different than surrendering maybe in public, yeah. right? Because, well, our brains, I mean, we're mammals, right? Like they work like this to keep us safe because that's yep. like our main internal prerogative is stay alive. Right. <laughs> and so it's there for a reason. But I think when the human mind, you know, it gets like pathological and it gets it goes too far and to catch it, like what's a safe balance, mm-hmm. right, for me to – for me to keep my guard up for a level to keep myself safe, but to not take it overboard where I'm like afraid to go out after dark or these kinds of things. Oh, and yeah. so Definitely. I don't know. It's complicated. I know. I don't have the answer <laughs> but to that either. Cause like, <laughs> I mean, I just, I, yeah, I try to do my best and then I'm trying to learn to let it go. Cause it's like when that's a balancing act. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Take the safety that you can and then let go of the things that you can't control, I guess is what I'm trying to tell myself, which I have baseline anxiety as well. So this is something that is an ongoing process. And like you said, it's not something that ever just goes away. It is something that we learn to deal with on a different, you know, relationship than potentially before, which was like the negative self-talk. And I resonate with a lot of that. Yeah, it's not something you can just like t- switch, no. uh, turn us. A- 
flip a switch. Oh my god, I forget the expression. Uh, and turn off. Flip a switch. Flip a yeah. switch <laughs> and turn off. Right. And like, and I guess you know when we think about taking a medicine for something like, oh, I'm like, I have a headache. I'll mm-hmm. take an Advil. It'll go away. I can move on. Mm. But with mental health stuff, it's not always going to be like that. Like, yes, there are some medicines that, like, I'm having a panic attack. This pill can stop it. But, like, but I live in a constant state of worry. Like, you have to kind of dig a little deeper to be like, why? And, you know, and then what, you know, maybe not all of that is serving you. Maybe some of Mm. it is. But, like, that there's more to it than that, I suppose. It's deep work. It's hard work. And I think it's part of why I get a little, like, not confused, but, like, when the narrative in the mainstream around psychedelics is that it'll, like, cure all your mental health problems, Mm. one trip, move on, I'm like, ooh, (laughs) actually, like, it's deeper than that because if people are expecting a pill to just turn their depression and anxiety off – they're not going to find that, right? It's mm-hmm. going to be actually really hard work. You, you're going to maybe see like parts of why you're depressed and anxious. And then it's – and you can experience maybe for the first time like self-love and confidence mm-hmm. and not being anxious. But how do you take that experience and these realizations and, and into your everyday life? And that's like actually really hard work. Like we're talking about all these things that we're right. thinking about. We're trying to process and like the balancing act and – and I guess I feel like that needs to be talked about more because otherwise people are going to be pretty disappointed by how mm-hmm. the psychedelic experience affects their mental health. It's If we set up these expectations like it's going to solve all of their problems and it doesn't, like that also can – Right, make people right. feel even worse. And, exactly. But to explain what the process is, like, yeah, this is a really big experience that you will be using to work on stuff inside you for months and years to come. Right. Good luck. <laughs> but people don't want to hear that, mm. especially if they're going to pay so much money for these guided psychedelic experiences. Which is really why I hope that you know, like I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, I do hope that psychedelic therapies legalized, but I also hope that we have access to psychedelics mm-hmm. legally so that we can be doing our ongoing work every few months, you know, as it feels right to us and to to live this new way where we don't expect one experience to change us forever, but we, you know, expect one experience to just give us a lot of information that then we can like continue to mine and use and process forever, basically. Right. <laughs> It's harder though. Certainly. (laughs) And I know you said you struggled with your confidence. I think this is very interesting because you also wrote a book. How did you get there? That's an interesting space, you know, to be that person and to feel and, you know, writing a book is no easy feat, you know? So like you got to take multiple steps of trusting yourself to start a project, get through the project, sell the project. Like how did you get into that? It was so hard, to be honest. <laughs> I struggled through the whole thing. Really? Like, yeah. It was actually the most miserable year of my okay, life. Okay, tell people that. We don't talk about this. <laughs> yeah, like, writing the book was so hard. I had crazy imposter syndrome the whole mm-hmm. time. I really didn't – like, I even write a little bit about it in the intro. I'm like – I had a trip where I was like, oh, my God, am I the person to write this book? Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, maybe not. Like, what am I doing? And I still did it. <laughs> um, Hell yes. I 
<laughs> like, you know, I just knew I like I knew I couldn't give up because that was just my anxiety, like taking control. But it was like it was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. Wow. Um, it wasn't easy. It really like ripped me up inside, but luckily I didn't take it out on the people I love around <laughs> me and didn't totally like uproot my whole life because that could have really easily happened also, but I mean, I always wanted to write a book, and I still want to write more. And mm-hmm. but the, the the thought of of embarking on another book is also terrifying. And, Certainly, and I'll do it eventually. But um, you know, it's 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 really really hard. Mm-hmm. And if people say otherwise, they're lying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, Probably. It, it, yeah, I, I maybe I wasn't even ready to do it. I was quite young when I started, you know, writing a book at 30 is pretty young, mm. even though there's so many like pretty young authors nowadays. But um, yeah, I, I did it anyway. But yeah, it was really challenging. <laughs> what was the first thing that really finalized for you that you were going to do a book? Was it telling someone? Was it something internally you're like, I'm doing this and I don't have to tell anybody? Or like, how did you take that first step to say this is happening? Yeah. Um, well, you know, for for this book particularly, like I I got an offer pretty fast. So um, I got like a book contract before okay. I started writing it. And so I signed now a contract now you're locked with in. a deadline on <laughs> it. And it was like, I got to really do this. Like <laughs> there was legal obligations. Yes. Like, so, you know, but even in the process of like negotiating the contract, it felt so unreal. Mm. And I'd like tell my family and my friends and it would feel a little bit more real. But then once I was really in it and researching it and – I remember like when I finished the first draft, I think my partner and I like bought a bottle of like Prosecco Aww. or something, like cheap champagne, yeah. like not actual champagne, this like sparkling you. white wine. <laughs> yes. And it was like a really, that was like a really powerful experience. Mm. Also, you know, in the research for the book, I went to a mushroom retreat and I write about it and I wanted to do like a guided ceremonial experience to try to see what the difference was because mm-hmm. I was very used to just using psychedelics at home mm-hmm. with friends, you know, low-key camping kind of thing and to see if it was different. And, you know, in ceremony it was. It was really powerful. It's not that different, but it was – I still – if people are curious, like try it. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And in those ceremonies and being in that group and in the retreat and talking about it with like the 15 other people there with me, that that made it pretty real too. Mm-hmm. And my first trip on that retreat, I just like cried actually. I think wow. that was when it was really real. I just like – I could barely handle it. Like I felt – just so much emotion about it and just like cried for like five hours. Wow. I had such a headache the next of day. Course, like you're from hydrated. Like, yeah, it was basically that. And and I had this really great facilitator who's now a friend of mine. And she just like sat there oh. next to me. But she'd go off and, you know, attend to some other folks. But she just sat with me and brought me new tissues and mm. collected my old dirty ones, which now I'm like, that's not sanitary. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. and just held that space for me to go through that and to process that and mm-hmm. and then by the it was three ceremonies in the course of a week and so by the wow. third ceremony I really switched gears and felt like really empowered mm-hmm. and like really like this is my path like yes. I'm meant to do this and I'm meant to share mushrooms with 
thousands of people. Yes. And it was really terrifying. Part of, I think, my tears was – and I was going through a lot of, like – like, a lot of my self-hate was bubbling up. And, and it was like, shit, am I going to, like – am I encouraging people to take this substance that's going to make them hate themselves even mm. more? And, like, where was that mystical experience I had as a 17-year-old? Like, all I want wow. is that self-love feeling. Where is it? It's not here. Maybe yeah. that wasn't real. But then I found it again in my third ceremony. It wasn't until I was, like, really comfortable with my set and setting. Right. Like, everyone around me, I, like, started to really open up to them and like them. And instead of my first night there, I was Nerds. like, what am I doing with my life? So yes. – and then I found that place again. And it yeah. was so mystical and powerful. And that's when it was like, well, fuck yeah, I'm meant to do this. Yeah. I'm going to do this. I think it's going to really make an impact on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And even if I hate myself through the whole process, I'm going to do it anyway. And I did. Hell yes. <laughs> I think it's important to normalize that space. You're like, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Like, okay. Yeah. I, I, like, I'm why doing am this. I doing like, this? I'm going to jump, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, it's. It's hard and, you know, like, yeah, other experts in the field or in all fields, you know, I'm not like, I don't have a PhD. I didn't go to grad school. Like, I, you know, I don't have some of these privileges, Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, like men have. I don't have male confidence. (laughs) Like, I don't know. That's probably not even real. No, it is. But just like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I felt like, like, who am I to freaking do this? But I was able to. And I think, I think that. We all can. We just yes. – or we hold ourselves back. Yes. Um, yeah, Literally. because we're taught that maybe we should just be like really little small things that don't make a big ruckus. But like fucking go out there and make a ruckus. I've been doing it these past two years. Yes. It's scary like every day and I go back and forth of whether or not I really should be doing it. But it, I know I'm making a difference because people are reaching out to me and telling me and – and then, and I'm forming community here in the psychedelic space and beyond, and it's so powerful to to meet other people who are on the same page, who've gone through a similar thing, and mm-hmm. and everyone's capable of it. Like it's not just me. It's not just the people you see on Instagram with so many followers or like whatever right. you know things we put on ourselves like oh well that's the measure of success like we're all capable mm-hmm. and it's it's a weird it's a hard one to to integrate but um i've been just trying out here trying to remind people that uh, if i could do it you could do it <laughs> right yeah do you have any specific advice because i think people might be listening to this here's this woman telling me i can do anything i want and they're gonna be like i still don't believe her like you know what i mean like how, what what advice do we give to people to even start taking those? I feel like the first step never feels right. Yeah. It's really I just know. blind. You know, you're just like, mm, gonna step this out here, see how that foot lands. And if it doesn't feel good and it doesn't resonate with your soul, then walk in a different direction, right? At least from the outside looking at you, this seems like something that really lights you up and you get very passionate about it and connected to it. And I'm sure that that inner connection to your values really resonated with you and it kind of gives you this, I don't know, calling if that's what we want to call it, but something that resonates in your bones so much so that it just feels like you can't walk any other direction. Yeah, yeah. I guess like a lot of um, my research for the book was like learning and to educate people on to like kind of trust their gut. It mm-hmm. sounds kind of like weird and obvious. Yeah. And I know sometimes like 
Because I get stuck here where I'm like, is this my intuition or like, should I trust my intuition? Right? Because I'm like, or is this like a delusion? Am I projecting some kind of weird shit on the people? Or anxiety. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. or anxiety. Or is this just my anxiety talking? And like, I don't have a really straight answer. Like, to just keep, I know, like, you got to be really open with yourself and like willing to look at the ugly stuff too yes. and not just the good stuff. Like I think the reason I've gotten to this place is because I'm also really open to dealing with all my shit and nasty, mm. mucky, gray, horribleness. Because if you're not willing, I guess we call that the shadow in the psychedelic community. I'm like, what am I talking yes. about? Because if you're not <laughs> willing to – experience both both sides or to deal with both sides of yourself I don't know if you will find you know the inner confidence like if you won't if you Mm -hmm. refuse to deal with your shadow right and like and this stuff that makes you feel shame and embarrassment and to right to like dig into it and to to accept it and to uh to try to change it but I know I mean For me, it's been, you know, some psychedelic work, journaling, meditation. I think for other folks, you know, like coaches and therapists can help you muck through Mm -hmm. it and try to see through like what's really going on here, what's real. (laughs) Um, And I definitely know that that's like a really useful part of this. And there's a lot of like, they're called like integration coaches and therapists out there. They can't give you psychedelics, but they can help you process your psychedelic work. And that can be really Mm -hmm. helpful for folks. Also, like, finding community, either in, like, the psychedelic space or out of it, but being able to, like, talk about this stuff, either in, like, a psychedelic mm-hmm. context or just in, like, a I'm doing inner work context and this stuff is coming up and, like, I'm realizing yeah. my biases and, like, and to have an open community who's also doing, like, that work and who want to, you know, change themselves before they can right. change the world, right? Like, um, and there's support groups. I mean... The internet is actually like a weirdly good place, especially in this like post, not post COVID mm-hmm. era, but in this era where now so much is online, like you can find right. more community and stuff. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. Like it's, I'm just figuring out for myself, <laughs> like, but I feel you. I wish I had a more, maybe I will in a few years. We'll just have to have another podcast and like, I mean, also you just gave a bunch of different beautiful things for people to try. Okay. So I think you know more than you know. And like you're creating a book, you're creating this space, you're doing so many big things that I'm sure even other people who might hear your story right now would resonate with you and that same level of imposter syndrome. And you're becoming a, I mean, I think mentors don't understand how big they can be sometimes and you are a big mentor within the psychedelic community and to hear you talk so vulnerably about all of these things takes a level of strength that I really appreciate. It's really kind. No, thank you. I do forget. I, I still get stuck in my own head, obviously. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, recognize how big you are. Like, yes, I was so excited to have you. Cool. And everyone that I talked to about bringing you on the show was, oh, she's a sweetheart. She's this, she's that. Like, everyone loves you. Yes. So <laughs> thank you. And I'm going to put that one in my pocket for later. Thanks. <laughs> yes. No, no, seriously. I really don't. I mean, we're all humans. And I think what ends up happening is we get into these spaces where we continue to lead, 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 lead. And then you just kind of forget to look back at all of our journey and like what you've done. And 
making a book like this that now has been spread and is teaching so many people. And like you talked about how you didn't have a graduate degree or all these pieces, but now you're able to talk to a whole group of people because you didn't get into that insular community that only chats with itself sometimes. Then now you're able to bring this information to a wider group of people. And we need someone like you to do that because right now it's just the internet. Which is great. But, but I get it. Yeah. yeah. No, I try. I know. Yeah, I am trying to be almost like a voice of reason out here because the psychedelic community yeah. can be like, not that it's um, unreasonable, but like, I don't know. It can be hard to like relate to. Like I was talking about in the beginning mm. and my intentions in writing the book and like, I am just like a real person. I'm not totally healed. I'm not, you know... Mm that special but I'm just out here like doing my best and um I do want to be a you know a source of inspiration for people to to do that as well because I don't think that there are a lot of role models out there showing us like if you're not born like super talented or super rich or like you know there's all these like barriers of entry and and barriers to like who can be successful and who can be a, a leader and I think that's all yeah. bullshit and that um yes. everyone's a leader to someone you just have to find out who that is <laughs> right exactly do you feel like you've received any pushback or oppression as a leader in this space because I mean, this is a stigmatized topic at least within America do you feel like anyone's giving you a hard time not really, but I do kind of live in my bubble. So, yeah. like, yeah. there could be that I have no idea about. Like, I'm sure. Like, I don't read a lot of the comment sections on things because it just makes my stomach go like. <laughs> but like, hey, that's self care. Right? Like, that is self care. Just avoid it altogether. I mean, not all of it, but like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know. But no, I think like at first so like when I was writing the book and I was first reporting in the space I did get like a a little bit of pushback from more established members of the community to just be like who are you and why should Mm. I talk to you basically like looking for sources and that was hard and just like hit my self-esteem but I also like see through it and now on the other side of it when I catch myself doing that, it's like, wow, like, shit, I shouldn't treat this, like, reporter who's new in the space like they don't know anything because that hurt me so much when people did that. Like, that's not cool. And so just, like, being aware of, like, now that I am in a position of more power, like, how do I, you know, use that for good and treat everyone like a human because it's freaking hard exactly. uh, when you're just, like, busy and a lot of people want to talk to you and, like, oh, they all matter. Okay, deep breath, we can do this. Like. Exactly. We all matter. I love – yeah, that's a hard space to hold, but it's what we should aspire for, right? Yeah, so it's tricky, but it's doable. It's time-consuming. Mm-hmm. It's energy-consuming. It's emotionally-consuming, mm-hmm. but it's worth it to like live aligned with what I feel is right, right? But but yeah, it was hard at first. I think it was partially some of my insecurity though. Like, oh, is that a really curt email or am I just so insecure that the fact that they didn't write me a book back that like (laughs) I don't really matter to them and like I know Mm -hmm. it's so tricky. It has been really interesting being on this other side. Also like as an editor for the – first time in my life I've only been an editor for like two months but I've been a writer Mm. for like five seven years and editors hold a lot of power and and it's really scary and and now being on the other side and being able to like coach writers 
through both like making their writing better, making their pitches better, commissioning great work, giving them feedback in a sensitive way. Like it's teaching me so much. I'm so grateful for it. And, Mm. um, and I just, I just, I actually really love this new role and being able to, to put great work out there by like diverse people in the community and beyond to be able to lift up folks that I see myself in or that I just see so much potential in is so beautiful and um, less pressure on me to create new things all the time too, which I love to just have like a hand in their creative process. And it's inspiring me so much. Um, so hopefully, hopefully another book will come eventually, but I need to kind of keep <laughs> breathing. Sure. I kind of still need a break. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Take that self-care. <laughs> Do you have any advice for someone that wants to support the psychedelic community but doesn't really know where the best place to do that is? Ooh, that's such a good question. I guess um, think about like – what aspect you'd like to support? Like, is it decriminalizing psychedelics? Because then you can, there's lots of like local initiatives in cities and states that you could like help with petition signing, things like that. Also like psychedelic equity and justice. Like, Mm -hmm. is that really important to you? There's a lot of great collectives starting. Like I have um, some colleagues in Oregon, the Fruiting Bodies Collective and the Psychedelic Equity Collective are both trying to make sure psychedelics can be accessible to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Not just like the affluent class that can afford really boutique therapy, Right. There's a lot of different options. Is it the healing aspect? Like you could donate to organizations like MAPS or USANA who are moving forward with clinical trials, proving that these substances have medical value. You could give back to indigenous communities. A source of mine in Oaxaca and the Mazatec community has started a like a charity basically. So you can give back to the communities that held this knowledge. You could donate to, it's called Esperanza Mazateca. They have a website, esperanzamazateca.com. There's also, you know, or organizations that give back to like the peyote uh, communities, the ayahuasca communities. So I guess, yeah, there's a lot of different ways. It depends on how you want to to do it. You can also just start in your families by like just talking about this stuff openly, right? And just trying to chip away at the stigma, like one conversation with your, you know, aunts and uncles or parents at a time. Yeah. I mean, I'm making this podcast, right? I literally called my mom up who is conservative Mormon and I was just like, mom, I'm interviewing this person about psychedelics. Why have you not tried them? And what do you need to hear so that you would? She's just... We had an interesting conversation, but I think it could be a lot of the things that you imagine of, you know, that you would go crazy or that you would lose your mind or that you were uncontrollable. And it was very interesting to actually have this conversation with her this morning because all of the things she said, like, oh, it's addictive. We talked about that on the podcast. It's not. (laughs) And, you know, that's lumping all these other drugs together or it's uncontrollable. Well, a lot of different drugs are uncontrollable at high doses. We're going to take a lot of alcohol, legal substance, super uncontrollable. She's like, I don't want people tripping on psychedelics while driving. And I'm like, nor do we want people driving on high doses of other substances like alcohol. It's just, it's very interesting how psychedelics has gotten this space. And so 
Yeah, a part of the work of changing the world really is having these one-on-one conversations because we really don't, you know, always see the ripples of how far those go out to change perspectives and change lives. Yeah, it's so true. Like the best thing, I think the easiest thing if you can't like donate time or money, yeah, is just start to have these conversations. Be open about, you know, how maybe psychedelics have helped you or even just Mm -hmm. like how they're just not the same as – alcohol or something and how it can be you know both kind of like it's more of like less of a I want to lose control and escape like you do with other substances Mm -hmm. it's more of a I want to go deep and learn about myself kind of thing and once you start putting it in that way people do get a little they're like oh wait what like it's not Mm -hmm. this thing that I thought like from the movies or you know, all the propaganda like from the 80s and 90s was really intense. Like this is your brain on drugs. It's a fried egg in a pan. Like what? (laughs) And now we have all these brain scans to show like, oh, well actually, you know, your limbic system is talking more like this and and it's like actually maybe good for your brain. Maybe it's creating neurogenesis and neuroplasticity like rather than killing brain cells. Like it doesn't do that actually at all. It might actually help them grow. (laughs) It's crazy. Exactly. I mean, if it hasn't been said before, always take a critical eye to the government and what legislation is out there. Why is that out there? I mean, this is the same government that, you know, equally prevented women from voting, people of color from voting. I mean, clearly has made multiple mistakes across the board. So it's always important to take a critical eye. And especially when you're looking back on now, yeah, the drug messaging that was out in the 70s and 80s. And then now we have science literally disproving all of those things you know, claims, theories, whatever. And it's just like, it's very important to always take a critical eye to this stuff. Yeah, no, it's really true. It's really, really true. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say about psychedelics that, you know, is important for listeners to know? You know, there's a lot of great information out there. If you do want to learn more, like outside of my book, there's so many great organizations like holding virtual conferences, doing online classes, just providing free, you know, articles and stuff that you can read online. Psychedelics Today, Double Blind Mag. Um, there's lots mm-hmm. of like great resources out there. People can continue to educate themselves and yeah, I'm not really sure, but I'm sure there's something. <laughs> yes. No worries. You've done so much. And then one thing I ask everyone on the show, I know we talked about a lot of different things, but what is one thing that you wish other people understood was more normal? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be psychedelic. Could be emotions. Could not be emotions, really. I open this up to like just whatever thing you've struggled with before. You're like, damn, I wish more people knew. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I wish I prepared something. I guess. I know. Do you (laughs) – go ahead. I'm like, I always wonder, should I tell people? But I equally like like the raw response of people. (laughs) Um, Something that I wish everyone knew that just isn't talked about more? Yeah. I mean, one time I – um, someone talked about nipple hairs, men <laughs> crying. Yeah, I mean, like anything. <laughs> That's a good one. Like, yeah, women have them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, like, I guess for me and my whole goal is like, you know, normal people, normal people use right. drugs, like all kinds of drugs. We smoke cannabis, we take mushrooms. You know, some people, they use heroin, they use other drugs, yeah. and it's not all like, 
uh, zero or addict. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not all like good or bad. Like sometimes there's a lot of gray. Like sometimes, you know, it's both self-medicating and relaxing. And that's like, okay. And like, it's just like what that person needs. Or maybe yes. that's not the most healthy way, but they're not a criminal, right? And maybe they just need another outlet to learn how to like process their trauma or their angst or their depression instead of, you know, using a substance. But I think that like, I just, yeah, wish people knew that, you know, there are normal functioning people using illegal substances all the time and they Mm -hmm. really just should be legalized because it'll just save so many lives, like both from death and yes. overdose, from going to jail, from growing up without a parent. Like there's just so many ways that ending the drug war can benefit our society and that realizing that drugs aren't that all bad. There's a lot yeah. of good there too. Um Yeah. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Please, louder. <laughs> Have you seen Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia? Yeah, I'm a big Hamilton fan. He's okay. great. Have you read Dr. Carl Hart's new book, Drug Use for Grownups? No, I will write that down right he's, now. He's great. He's a professor at Columbia and a drug researcher for like over 25 years and just has such a great perspective on this stuff. Way more nuanced than mine. I suggest everyone read that book. It's great. Yeah, definitely. Is it the same kind of thing like Hamilton where he kind of like breaks down the history of like the different drugs and talks about how it's not all black or white? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty similar. And, you know, he grew up in a pretty like – Dr. Carl Hart grew up in a pretty like crack-ridden neighborhood Mm. in Miami and grew up thinking like, oh, you know, one thing. And then through his research as like a PhD and a postdoc and a professor realizing like, oh, actually – it's another and, um, yeah. you know, not too many spoilers, but it's oh, a really yes. great read. <laughs> Enough of a cliffhanger for everyone. Go check it out. Yeah, this has been really lovely. Is there anywhere that you would like to plug for people to find you, your book? I do have a website. My name is shawnjanikian.com. A lot of my um, work is on there. You can buy my book on there. My book's also available like on all the sites, all the bookstores. You can even like – Try to order it at your library and they'll buy a copy, you know, so check out your psilocybin mushroom companion. And yeah, I've been editing the blog at Psychedelics Today, putting out a really cool content there at psychedelicstoday.com. And I'm on their Friday podcast every week if you want to hear me talk more. That's Solidarity Fridays. Yes. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It was so lovely to have you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.